are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. However you want to reach us on, on the line, we are taking your calls. We're taking your text here on the Thursday afternoon edition of the show. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing good, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Of course, I must have offended Texas A&M fans out oh on the interwebs. It did reach H-Town as we were all discussing off air yesterday. I posted my predictions that we talked about on yesterday's show, our SEC West predictions, that is less than favorable to the Texas A&M Aggies. And by reaching all the way to H-Town, I mean Houston. And there are a significant amount of Texas A&M fans out there, and they are not happy with me at the moment. That is fantastic. I've not gotten to see it. I've not gotten to see it. Uh, What have have some people uh, said? I'm not going to talk about it on the radio. Okay, all right, all right. (laughs) <laughs> cool. So it did. It did, did eventually. Oh yeah, I'm seeing it. Yeah, it did eventually reach. Yeah, it did eventually reach Texas. There you go. That's fantastic. And it's not like it's not like it's a crazy take. I mean, I don't apparently think it's a, it is. I don't think it's that outlandish to say a team with a new st- quarterback and a new offensive line that is not known for developing quarterbacks, at least since Jimbo's been there, is going to to do crazy good. Now, would I put them at fifth? Yeah, but I don't think the difference between fifth and sixth is that significant. I'm not mad at the take at all. So, well, let's move on. I want to get into a different topic that you and I have had tabled for a slower news day than most, which today, not exactly a slow news day. We did have press conferences earlier. You got to hear from newly named captains Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten. We'll take a listen to that audio later on in the show, break down some of what they had to say, as well as play in addition of start, bench, cut. We've got a lot planned for today's show. But first, I want to get into this topic, giving our top five candidates for breakout offensive players for Auburn in 2021. I posted this graphic to the Fox Sports Central Alabama social media pages. My top five guys, if you want to go and interact with that and engage with that, go and find Fox Sports Central Alabama Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Fox Sports 983. Lance, let's start it off at five on our list for candidates for breakout offensive players for Auburn in 2021 okay so I just pulled up your list and I actually hadn't seen it I had not seen it my number five guys actually your number five guys Austin Schroxel uh, I think Auburn's offensive line although it may be veteran uh, I think there are a lot of faces on this offensive line and even guys behind uh, these these seniors that we've not seen before and I think Troxel is going to step in and he's going to do a lot of good really things for Auburn at that tackle position I believe at least that's what he's going to play Look, Auburn needs somebody to emerge on this offensive line. It's like their go-to really talented guy, and I think they've got somebody versatile in Brandon Council, but they need somebody to kind of be that anchor, and I think Austin Troxel can potentially be that guy. When we were hearing of rumblings of 
injuries on the offensive line or guys missing some time and all this cross training I got really uncomfortable when I was making this list but since you heard from Brian Horson yesterday at his media availability he gave you that hierarchy that depth chart if you will on the offensive line which these guys are still having to earn their time and you are almost to game week you're not there yet but you're almost to game week so I think this will end up being the starting offensive line but Austin Troxel was listed at left tackle this is a guy that we knew had the potential we knew had the talent but due to injuries across his career however many it has been it seems like it's been three maybe even just two but nonetheless he's had a lot of seasons cut short when you thought maybe this is the year that he cracks into the starting lineup last year is a year where you lose him due to injury Alec Jackson ends up being your starting left tackle it's less than optimal results at left tackle he's a he's a three-star defensive tackle moved over transition to left tackle that doesn't sound like a recipe for success for most programs and there's a huge learning curve with the offensive line and, and only a couple of seasons on the offensive line we even saw this with Prince Tega Winogo moving from the defense to the offense it took him four years to figure it out at left tackle mm-hmm. Austin Troxel, a natural left tackle on this offensive line I think that this by definition for breakout year of course still uncomfortable why I have him at five on my list is because I'm concerned for injuries and that this is really his first full year of getting to play but by definition of breakout a guy who has the talent and can finally solidify himself as a starter and have a a good season and actually get in front of the eyes of the fan base Austin Troxel slides in at five for me as well yeah exactly and like you mentioned Alec Jackson I believe was playing left tackle last season was just kind of thrown into the fire and you're seeing a guy like Troxel emerge in fall camp six seven I mean any anytime you can get a six seven guy on your starting on your offensive line that is talented enough to do so I think you got to take it so yeah Troxel is my number five guy as well take me through your number four my number four is Sean Shivers and you and I have talked a little bit about this before on the show about how how excited we could be to potentially see him in this new offense you've given your take you think that he can get to 700 rushing yards on the season Um, I don't know if he can get to 700 but I think he's definitely going to be a breakout player he's not been he's not been that 500 600 yard rusher for Auburn and Auburn needs their uh, number two running back to step up I don't think Jarquez Hunter is going to be getting a ton of touches this season I think you see early on in games against Akron and Alabama State I think you see in, in not necessarily in garbage time but later on in the game I think you see Shivers as the main feature back and I, I think you see him running the ball a lot I think Auburn relies on him as that number two guy to Tank Bigsby, that one-two punch with Tank Bigsby's versatility and then Sean Shiver's speed. Uh, I, 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 I can definitely see this guy in this new downhill offense as they've been talking about, uh, getting between the tackles and causing a lot of problems for opposing defenses. He's, he's my number four guy. He's much higher on my list, so I, I'll be excited to talk about that moving forward. But I understand having him at four – because he does have to play in the shadow of Tank Bigsby. So how much higher can he go? But I'll be excited to talk about Sean Shivers a little bit more later on in my list. At four, I have Elijah Canyon. Now, this is not the only receiver that I have on this list. So I felt like I couldn't bump the two up against each other in my rankings. I wanted to kind of spread it out a little bit. And I have some other candidates that I think are going to have a little bit more of a flashy season maybe than Elijah Canyon here. But I do think that coming out of the spring 
it was easy to see that Elijah Canyon was the top target at that point for Bo Nix. Now, you were missing Shedrick Jackson and Xavion Capers throughout the spring. Those guys were dealing with injuries. It wasn't a fully healthy receiving core, so it wasn't the entire look at it, but Elijah Canyon's play at the spring game, it looked like he was the most consistent receiver and the most impressive receiver of the day, and if that was all that we had to go off of, I felt really comfortable to say that this guy was going to be one of your leading candidates to start at split end or also known as the X position at wide receiver I thought he was going to be one of Auburn's outside guys and possibly emerge as Bo Nix's quote bailout receiver his go-to guy the 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 receiver that he is looking at the most and Canyon last year I mean once again I go back to by definition of breakout offensive players Canyon literally only got to play in the bowl game and he made the most of it now getting a full season to play this is clearly going to be a breakout year for him because he's going to emerge as to what I believe Auburn's second best target in the receiving core this year. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I've got Elijah Canyon sitting at third on my list. I'm really excited about the potential of this guy. Like you mentioned, he was only able to play in the bowl game, so if he's going to be one of Auburn's starting receivers this year and he's going to be targeted, like you said, by definition, he's he's due to break out this season if, if Bonix is going to be thrown his way. And every time he has stepped on the field at least from what we've gotten to see. So I, maybe I should say every time he has stepped on the field publicly, every time being the spring game and, and then the bowl game against Northwestern, he has made the most of his opportunities, scoring touchdowns in both of those ball games. I think that's another reason why I'm so drawn to Elijah Canyon is because when he has stepped out on the field, he's made the most of his opportunity and he has made a direct impact on the football game with two great touchdown catches and displays of athleticism. I like this guy a lot. I think he's versatile. He's going to be very impressive. Third on my list, I go to the center position with first team all SEC Nick Brahms. <laughs> and this is a guy that there's been a mixed bag of results with He's had some good games. He's had some not so good games. It kind of, you also get a mixed bag with people's takes on Nick Brahms. Of course, I think many people were probably surprised to see him as first team all SEC at media days. I like this guy. I think there's some real potential there. He's a true center. It should all be coming together and clicking now in a media availability. A couple of weeks ago here at, at the beginning of fall camp, he was talking about how new offensive line coach Will Fred and what he's learned from him. He's really improved his football IQ. He's one of the seniors on this football team. At this point, Nick Brahms should have a good overall collective knowledge of the game of football, and he should be a driving force on this offensive line. I'm going to take this year, his last year with Auburn, to be a breakout season for him and to be a driving force on this offensive line, which is exactly what you want the center position to be. Yeah, I like that pick, and I agree with you. You're going to need your senator step up, and with all the veterans on Auburn's offensive line, like I said, somebody's due to step up and be that leader. Auburn didn't really have that last season on the offensive line. Part of that was due to injury. Part of that was because Auburn just 
flat out couldn't get it done. But something I believe it was Nick Brahms was saying is that they're actually being taught about like fundamental things. Like the, it's it's very similar to what Derek Mason has been harping on football IQ, like understanding your position and knowing how to actually play it instead of going out there and just putting your hands on a guy and, and blocking them. They're actually learning technique. They're learning different stuff. And like you mentioned, as a veteran and as a senior, I think Brahms has to be able to step up. And if he's learning those things and they're talking about it, I expect that he will. Between all of the way that the defensive players have spoken about what's going on schematically on the defensive side of the ball and then also looking on the offensive side of the ball between the comments about Bo Nix's development and also Nick Brahms's development and the rest of the offensive line, what I'm taking away from what this coaching staff is bringing to the table for these players is that it's no longer just about their own scheme. They're trying to learn how to adjust and prepare for their opponent as well, maybe in a broader scale than what the Malzahn regime brought. Not saying that they didn't, but it definitely looks like when you hear about Bo Nix talking about getting to the line of scrimmage, being under center, getting to see the whole defense head up, getting to make checks between not only him making checks, but also the offensive line making checks with Nick Brahms. It looks like that they are adjusting a little bit more to what defenses are throwing at them and also knowing what to do when you see a certain look from a defense whereas the past I don't think that the offensive scheme has been contingent on totally what the defense shows you right detail oriented and paying attention to what the defense is doing and making adjustments it's something that Auburn has struggled with in the past uh, in certain games and it's uh it's refreshing to hear that's what the coaching staff is focusing on with their quarterbacks my number two is a little bit of a wild card you know earlier on in the offseason I was talking about uh I was talking about Tyler Fromm potentially being a breakout guy I've got John Samuel Schenker as my number two breakout player Auburn's potential number one tight end he's been starting there for a season or so now uh, also duels uh, is a dual baseball player John Samuel Schenker is Schenker I think is going to uh, to get a lot of targets thrown his way uh, because he's the veteran out of that tight end group Simply I didn't even really think about the tight ends. Yeah, and so you you think about all these tight ends. You think about all the talent they've got. They've well, they've got Brandon Frazier, Landon King, Tyler Fromm, Luke Deal. But I think because John Samuel Schenker is the veteran guy of this group, he's going to be the one to start. He's going to be the one to play the most, and he's going to be the one that's probably getting the ball thrown his way the most. What type of numbers do you think John Samuel Schenker hits this year? Looking at what he did last season. He had nine catches, 97 yards, 10.8 yards per reception, which I'm not mad at the yards per reception there. I actually like that a lot. I'd like to see him stretch the field a little bit more, but I'm curious, just shy of 100 yards last year, where do you think he gets to this year for it to be considered a, a breakout. breakout season well in the minds of Auburn fans I think anything over 100 yards would just be like oh my goodness <laughs> gracious I, I'd say he get he gets uh close to tripling that I say he gets 290 somewhere between 290 350 yards gets a couple of touchdowns I think if you see you see any legitimate production out of that unit specifically from Shanker I think it would be considered a breakout moment kind of makes you look at him and say oh he's having a pretty good year look at him do that we haven't seen that before yeah I'll amend my statement a little bit and maybe not attach a number to it. I'll just say I think he needs to be a legitimate receiving threat. Mm -hmm. Like opposing defenses need to have to prepare for any one of these tight ends when they step out on the field. But for the sake of this conversation, when John Samuel Shanker is out there, they have to consider him as a potential receiving threat rather than just a lead blocker. Which traditionally, you look at nine catches in a season, that's not even one per game. You're okay with giving up 
a couple of catches in a ball game to the right. guy, especially if it's only one first down and you may not even give up a catch to him in a ball game because once again, nine catches in 11 games. So I'm with you. I think maybe not attach a number to it and maybe it doesn't have to be a large number but it has to be enough to where opposing teams have to consider him as a legitimate receiving option in this offense considering that and I've and I've gone to this a lot at Boise State Brian Harson had a lot of instances he was top 25 in the country in this in five-man protection on pass plays meaning that either a tight end wasn't on the field or when the tight end was on the field he was running a route right so they they do get guys involved in the passing game that aren't just receivers and i would like to be able to say for for this spot just the entire wide receiver or tight end room rather but we're doing specific players so i definitely think that you're going to see the tight end position get a lot more involved but again simply because shanker's the veteran guy and we've seen him actually go out there and catch a couple passes i think like you said it's fair to not attach a number to it and fair to just say he's going to have to become a threat to the point where defenses have to at least keep themselves honest number two on my list I said that I had this guy much higher he's not at number one I'm going to go with Sean Shivers here maybe I'm just glued to the thought here that Sean Shivers is going to have this amazing season get near 700 yards look by me having Sean Shivers at two this is not me saying that he's going to overtake tank bigsby that he's going to take a significant amount of carries away from tank bigsby that he's going to affect his playing time whatsoever because that is preposterous that would be idiocy that is not going to happen but i do believe that this coaching staff by accentuating sean shiver's skill set with this new running scheme a little bit more downhill rather than side to side and the fact that they're going to be using him correctly as opposed to gus malzahn's coaching staff I do think that Sean Shivers will see an uptick in carries in this offense, and that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying an extra maybe two or three carries a ball game to get him up from where he was hovering last season, maybe at about eight or nine carries a ball game. Let's see him get up to 12 carries a ball game, and that's not a bad thing for Tank Bigsby's longevity, a player that did deal with an injury last season. I'm not putting injury-prone as a label on Tate Bigsby because I think his injury was a fluke injury and if any 300 pound human being threw you on your hip from above their shoulders I think that would I think that would hurt you too right like that's that's not a a carry on Johnson like ankle injury or hamstring Mm -hmm. blowout so I I don't I think that's just kind of a fluke injury and he, he came back from it of course but it is going to help protect protect your most valuable player on this offense and I think because of the small uptick in carries and the adjustment in the running scheme for Sean Shivers, maybe even a little bit more of a wide-open passing game, it's going to make all of these running backs better, but it's going to help Sean Shivers have some clearer running lanes to run through. And then, like you mentioned on the show before, you know, DJ Williams was on roster last year, and he was getting his three or four touches a game. You take take a guy that's a junior out of the equation, and you you put in Sean Shivers, and the only depth behind him – or a couple of freshmen, I think you are going to see Shivers get those carries. And it's not taking away from Bigsby, like you said. It's taking away from the guys behind him. And you may even see one or two carries come from Bigsby's total this year to Sean Shivers. But once again, I go back to that's not a bad thing for the longevity of your running back. And if Sean Shivers is giving you consistently solid carries, I'm here for it. So I think it's it's going to be addition here for Sean Shivers in his last season on the Plains and a breakout year for him where where other teams now when he steps out on the field they have to consider him 
as a legitimate threat when he steps out there. That that Auburn's not going to be missing a tremendous beat after their top rusher leaves the field, right? You look right. at preseason magazines and the way that they rank position units, and you look at Auburn at running back, they're still like fourth or fifth in the SEC in a lot of these preseason magazines. And why is that? Because they don't hold a lot of value past Tank Bigsby. Right. They love Tank Bigsby. They'll have Tank Bigsby as first-team All-American, but past Tank Bigsby, they don't ha- hold a lot of value beyond that. They're going to hold a lot of value beyond that after Sean Shiver's season this year. We will come back after this break. We're going to play start, bench, cut later on in the show. Stay tuned. We will give you our top candidate for a breakout offensive player for Auburn in 2021. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Text line as well, 334-564-1840. Just gave four candidates for breakout offensive players for Auburn in 2021. We'll give you our top one later on in the show coming up probably at the end of this hour so stay tuned for that but here in this segment we are going to play an actual edition of start bench cut and this inspired by preseason all sec coaches teams preseason all ap team all that good stuff we've played coach coordinator fire we've played in on the fence or out we've pretty much exhausted those two options now so let's go back to the original variation that it hails from start bench cut so the rules of this is we are going to give you three players you have to choose to start one bench one cut one so basically ranking these players one through three in order of your preference and we are going to start in the sec at quarterback and i got some pushback on this from the interns when i put it in there but i'm rocking with it anyway because i run this ship (laughs) (laughs) matt corral jt daniels bryce young they didn't like that i had bryce young there why who else would we have put because apparently because we haven't seen him play there's no way to judge him on this and 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 that is valid and that will bake into my choice here but i want to know start bench cut you've got these three quarterbacks Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral Georgia's JT Daniels and Alabama's Bryce Young who technically we don't know if he's the starter yet but I think we can all imagine I think for me the most comfortable way to to list this is I I would start Matt Corral I'd bench JT Daniels and I would cut Bryce Young simply because like you said we have not seen him but I can imagine at the end of the season, we might be singing a different tune. I think all these quarterbacks are going to do great. I think all statistically are going to, to going to be phenomenal. Uh, but Matt Corral, he's shown the ability to do it throughout the entire season. JT Daniels, only four games at Georgia, like we mentioned before on the show, against not-so-great pass defenses. Uh, the defenses that uh, JT Daniels have faced have averaged out to be 89th nationally in passing yards allowed per game. Not that great. Uh, and I would like to see a full year of production from him to give to get a kind of full gauge on on where he is as a quarterback. Now the numbers that he had were pretty good during the, uh, against those four teams, but yeah, averaged over 300 yards per game. Right, ten touchdowns, two picks, if I'm not mistaken. Really talented quarterback in Matt Corral. I've just seen so much out of him at this point. I can't imagine not taking him as one of the top guys, if not the top guy in the SEC. I have the exact same three as well. I started Matt Corral, benched JT Daniels, and cut Bryce Young. 
JT Daniels, once again, you go back to how he performed against bad pass defenses last year. You got him for the last four games. Georgia's offense sputtered a bit, 31 points against Mississippi State, but we all know how close that ball game was. I think I remember it being like 24-24 down the stretch into that final quarter. Still sputtered in his first game as the starter at Georgia. The passing attack was 28 for 38. He threw up 401 yards was able to put up yards but once again the points didn't end up on the scoreboard you go after that they played South Carolina awful Missouri not one of the better defenses in the SEC last year either was giving up over 30 points a game and then they played Cincinnati and only scored 24 points so I think you've got a mixed bag there with JT Daniels and when I was looking at these three quarterbacks independently I was trying to take them out of their individual situations and just grade them based off of certain parameters that any NFL team would be grading quarterbacks going to the draft and how they would how they would evaluate them on their scouting reports and those those little details that you get outside of the scheme and outside of the system and at this point I like what Matt Corral offers you on the college football field even though he may give you some more interceptions than JT Daniels and Bryce Young I like how he can in, impact the scoreboard a little bit more not only from yardage but also of course from points the guy may have been 30 touchdowns 14 picks but he is as talented as it comes in his ability to uh, to light up a scoreboard and impact a defense yeah absolutely JT Daniels my concern is he a system quarterback can he is is he going to turn into what happened with Jake Fromm and and actually kind of regress over time at Georgia as well and then Bryce Young we just haven't seen the guy's ability to make decisions yet and make quick decisions but Nick Saban is impressed with that decision making in practice we'll see if he can do that when the lights come on let's move to the running backs here Tank Bigsby Isaiah Spiller or Kevin Harris we got to do this one quick I'm going to go Tank Bigsby Kevin Harris Isaiah Spiller look Isaiah or Kevin Harris almost has 200 yard, more yards than Isaiah Spiller does in terms of yards before contact. He also averages 6.2 yards per carry compared to Texas A&M's Isaiah Spiller at 5.5. Tank Bigsby, obviously, I have at number one, partially because I'm a homer and partially because I think that he's the best running back in the SEC all around this year. Tank Bigsby, in spite of, and there are statistics to prove this, especially if you're following his ascension all last season, I went with start tank, cut spiller, bench Kevin Harris. Right. The exact same group that you did. Bigsby and Harris, very similar in their productions last year. Did offer you a lot in the receiving game as well. These guys can catch out of the backfield. Kevin Harris was do it all for South Carolina, but they both succeeded in spite of, at times, poor play on the offensive line really for kevin harris it was all the time but bigsby i think had some good run blocking but you also saw what he could what he could get you downfield and be able to create his own space and break tackles i think back to the arkansas game and what he was able to do in that when he really broke out so pretty easy pretty easy decision making there at running back we'll come back to that later on in the show look at wide receivers but when we come back we take a listen to nick saban's press conference and what he had to say yesterday stay on the line more of the show when we come back 30 minutes through hour number one of On the Line, Thursday edition of the show. We got Noah Garner and Lance Dahl here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just wrapped up an edition of Star Bench Cut. Talked about quarterbacks and running backs. We'll come back to it a little bit later on in the show if we got time. I got a fun trio of wide receivers 
And uh, be thinking about it. John Mechie the third, Kayshawn Boutte, Traylon Burks. Those are your top three receivers, I think, in the league this year. But could someone else maybe crop into that group? We'll just have to keep playing this game throughout the season as other players emerge. But this segment, yesterday, Nick Saban spoke with the media to address his team's progression through fall camp. And Lance, before we get into some of the audio that Nick Saban had, I want to ask you, what is kind of a takeaway maybe that you've had for the Alabama Crimson Tide through fall camp up to this point? Well, they've not been falling apart like Auburn, is ha- Auburn has, that's for sure. I don't know if Auburn's well, falling say, apart. Okay, let me rephrase. They've not, they, they not necessarily fallen apart. They've just had a steady ship throughout throughout this fall camp. I agree camp. with that. They've they've not had any injuries or the, outside of maybe the center position. Uh, was he injured? Was their starting center injured? Or? Both of them have been banged up a little bit. And they've just kind of been able to, to keep it steady. And obviously, practices are not going to be perfect. We've talked to Jeremy Law. Uh, about that a little bit but they've just kind of been able to keep it steady and I wouldn't uh, let me rephrase Albert's not falling apart they've just had the media has has blown a lot of things out of proportion and Auburn at the end of the day still has just had had a a, I I wouldn't even say rocky it's just kind of been a weird fall camp and yesterday between Brian Harson having his media availability and also speaking on Tiger Talk I think he said a lot of positive things. I thought he kind of glowed about the program and said that they're headed in a promising direction. He had a lot of of statements that indicated that. I didn't leave anything yesterday from what Brian Harson had to say, whether it was Tiger Talk or whether or not it was his media availability in his press conference. I didn't take really hardly any negatives yesterday from from that i i think he's pretty happy with where the program's at right now in the direction that they're trending so i'm going back to what i said earlier this week i still think they're very much so on schedule as far as their fall camp progression and maybe folks have just been blowing it a little bit out of proportion like you just said but you bring up the center position both of those guys have been banged up you got a competition right now between senior chris owens and then darian dowcourt right behind him a sophomore those two guys battling it out nick saban had this to say about how the center competition is going well i think we got to get a lot more consistency at the position consistency in snaps consistency in blocking uh, we do have competition at the position uh, no doubt about that and you know both guys are making progress but and both guys are competing both guys been a little banged up at times so there hasn't been that you know consistency that we'd like to see in in terms of them being able to go out there every day and do what they got to do but um you know it's a work in progress right now and uh, no decision has been made as to where we are as to you know who's going to win that job so no update there yet on who is going to win that center position but I go back to right now it's between Darian Dowcourt and Chris Owens which it was kind of a foregone conclusion that Chris Owens that was going to be his spot this year a senior it kind of makes you wonder and if you're at Alabama and you aren't good enough to start by the time you're a junior you kind of wonder about a guy because typically that's when players step in it's typically two years on the bench developing and then you get into that spot of course you look at the offensive line for Alabama and last year at center Landon Dickerson the guy was fantastic right so you're not going to move on from him to go to Chris Owens or anything like that and he was still there so a bit of a log jam at center but I do think that there's a bit of a competition here and maybe they are looking like Nick Saban just said there I think they probably are looking for a little bit more 
out of that center spot. Yeah, and like you mentioned, he's talking about consistency, and he's talking about guys stepping up and being in, in being consistent in that spot. Another thing that he talked about during uh, during his press conference was talking about the mental toughness and the self discipline uh, of his players, and he said that it was really really important to him. And he said there are a lot of losable games on this schedule. Don't know if I believe that, but he said there are a lot of losable games on this schedule. And in order for his team, in order for his offensive line to to gel and for this team to come together, they're going to need to be more consistent and they're going to need to focus. Sounds a lot like what Harson has been harping on. Chris Owens has only made seven starts in his career at Alabama and he's been along the right side of the offensive line he's made some of his starts at center I believe he's also played a little bit of right tackle so he's moved around a little bit and I think Alabama's in quite an interesting situation at the center spot because I go back to I don't think either of these guys that they're looking at considering Dalcourt is a sophomore mm-hmm. I don't think either of these guys really have a lot of experience at this center spot and all of the responsibility that comes with being a center in the SEC you may not be looking at as good of a center position, of course, obviously, because it's hard to beat Landon Dickerson, but you, you may be looking at a little bit of an underwhelming center this year, maybe as compared to what is typically there at Alabama. I'm not going to say bad. I'm not even going to say average. Still probably good, but not as good. So my question then would be, does that cause any concern for you with this offense and a freshman quarterback? Well, not, well technically a freshman stepping into that Miami game. Well, it's a new offensive line it's not just new at the center position you've got players like Kendall Randolph Tommy Brown the Brockermeyers are trying to get in there your, your only two returners are Emil Ekior Jr. and then Evan Neal and those two guys are going to be very good offensive linemen and they're going to be leaders here and so you know you've got a great left tackle in Evan Neal and you know that you've got a good run blocking guard and Emil Ekior on that right side on the side that you typically see teams running to and, and focusing a lot of their run blockers at the question is are the other spots like at right tackle or at center or at left guard are those enough if you don't have great players and consistency at that spot which I I, I genuinely do believe I don't think that was coach speak from Nick Saban I think he legit is trying to see more consistency from this offensive line but that is to be expected with the exodus of three players off of that line last year especially your leader and Landon Dickerson I think there will be some growing pains with this offense. I still think it's the best offense in the SEC, but I don't think that you see them put up 48 and a half points a game. I think you see maybe a touchdown shave off of that, and you're still averaging 40 at that point. That's still one of the best offenses in the in the country. But I'm 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 thinking that they are going to go down by a touchdown there just by virtue of youth and decision making. Right. Another question that I would pose to you then is: Do you think that, like you just said, youth and decision making is that more? In terms of Alabama not falling behind, but having a decrease in statistical production, is that more because of, like you said, youth? Or is it because maybe some of the games on their schedule, like Saban said, are going to be losable games? You get to play some tough defenses in this conference against uh, maybe Auburn, A&M, a couple other teams. Do you think that could be a factor? Do you think it's the majority of it is Alabama's youth? And at the end of the day, at the end of the season, they will have enough experience to where they will be able to go out and execute little bit of both they're going to be challenged and they're going to have to grow up quickly when you look at the schedule I mean they got to play Miami to open it up they're going to have to grow up now the Miami defense left a lot to be desired last year but it's Manny Diaz he's a good defensive coordinator they traditionally have had good defenses last year was the first year that I think we've really seen a bad defense at Miami in quite some time 
question is, do they get better? Was it the pandemic impacting it? I, I think defenses were down all across college football. So I do think there will be a bit of a challenge there. There are South Florida athletes there playing on that Miami defense. They have good players. The question is, how much of a step forward does Miami take on that side of the ball, and how much do they challenge this Alabama offense? And that is going to take me into a different piece of audio here. I want to talk about what impresses Nick Saban the most about Bryce Young and then say you know from you and be thinking about this while you're listening to this audio what are the most important qualities you're going to be looking at in that first game against Miami from Bryce Young here's what Nick Saban had to say about what quality impresses him the most about Bryce Young you know Bryce has a really good knowledge of the offense he's a very bright guy Uh, he makes good choices and decisions Uh, he's has a really good feel in the pocket Um, you know and he's played really really well Um, and, you know, we want to continue to try to develop the kind of timing in the passing game that we need with the new receivers, with the people in the passing game to do the little things right so that we can be a little more accurate, a little bit more consistent. Uh, but I think that's a combination not just of a thrower but also of the route runner because you're expecting him to do one thing and he does something else. So uh, those are all things that we're working on really hard, but I've been really pl- pr- pleased with Bryce. I've been pleased with his attitude. I've been pleased with his performance. And uh, we just got to get the people around him to play a little better on a more consistent basis. That's Nick Saban right there calling out his receivers and his offensive line. Maybe more so the receivers in this situation. And and I don't necessarily think that it was a, a huge like thing to to blow up here and say, oh, Nick Saban calls out receivers or anything like that. But as evidenced there by the tail end of that statement he did say we got to get everybody else around him playing better which tells me it's not a decision making it's not a football IQ issue with Bryce Young it's maybe the youth around him as well there's a lot of youth on this Alabama offense I mean only three starters return right and this was a question that uh, we had listed on the rundown and before I had actually heard the audio the three things that I'd put down for Bryce Young is not making freshman mistakes, making good decisions, keeping his eyes up and not getting jittery in the pocket. And you saw Saban hit on two of those right there. He's got really good decision-making. He's really good in the pocket. The thing that's not there right now, though, is the timing and the accuracy, something that Mac Jones did so well last season. It's what made him so special was the timing and where he put the ball for his receivers. And while Bryce Young may possess that accuracy and he's a good decision-maker, He's going to need some of his very young receivers to step up. It can't just be John Mechie. And like you mentioned, like we've been talking about during this segment, this new offensive line is going to have to help him out. They're going to have to be consistent. So while he may be a really talented quarterback, he may be the truck and not the trailer. He needs the rest of his offense to come along with him. Football's an 11-man game. Any one man that doesn't do his job puts the play in jeopardy. So I agree with you there. Now, Going to looking at Miami and their ability to cause havoc and, and translated that to Bryce Young not making freshman mistakes. Last year, Miami averaged over three sacks a ball game on their, excuse me, take that back, just under three sacks a ball game. They had 30 sacks last year. Now, that in comparison to their previous three seasons where they had more than 40, of course, last year doesn't look as impressive, but I still go back to the defense the defensive quality around college football as a whole was down and that is as evidenced by looking at the average points allowed per ball game in college football you know someone that was given up 
24 a game in the SEC typically you're looking at them eight or ninth maybe or 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 a little bit a step above that in the middle of the pack at least Auburn was top four in the SEC in total points allowed right and they were right there giving up 24 a half points per game right so you can see even the SEC average defense was down Miami I want to know you like this team a lot how does this defense get better well, the, the way that this defense is going to get better is we've talked about it a little bit. They're an incredibly experienced group, but they're going to have to be able to put a little bit more pressure. And I think with the addition of non-conference play, statistically, at the end of the day, they're going to get closer to where they've been in the past. But they're going to have to be able to put a little pressure. Are you asking for the entire season or just specifically in this Alabama game? What do they have to do to get after Bryce Young? Let's talk about it in terms of game young. Uh, to in, yes, game young, <laughs> game one, game one. I would say, yeah, I would say absolutely. They've got to be able to put make him uncomfortable and force him into th- into into things that he's not prone to do obviously he's a really good decision maker put him in situations where he doesn't know where to go with the ball disguise some coverages mix some things up confuse him he's still a freshman do you think they've improved enough during the offseason to get there I doubt they've done it enough to where they can hang on for an entire game but I think for about a quarter and a half half a half a game I think they'll confuse him enough Alabama obviously is Alabama they'll go out there they'll make adjustments and they'll win the game Last piece of audio here from Nick Saban. He talked about how the defensive backfield, primarily the quarterbacks, are progressing. Let's take a listen to what he had to say about the Crimson Tide defensive backs. Uh, you know, Josh has had a good camp so far. Uh, he's got good knowledge and experience of the position. Um, you know, some of the young guys have shown promise. Uh, I think they're still, you know, maybe feeling their way a little bit, but they've shown some promise. Uh, you know, Kyrie, Kool-Aid, um, those guys. Marcus Banks has done a pretty good job. Um, Jaden Armour Davis has played fairly well. He's been a little bit banged up here for the last couple of days. Um, but so we need to get everybody out there on the field so we can work together as a unit, um, which is something that we haven't been able to do for the last, you know, three or four practices. Sounds like some, you know, bumps and bruises across different position groups in the Alabama program and whatnot. This Alabama defensive backfield is very interesting to me because I actually don't really think that it's getting the respect it deserves. Everybody talks about LSU's corners and Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley, and they fell in love with both of those guys as freshmen. Derek Stingley missed some time last year. Eli Ricks used that time to his benefit, played really well, got people's attention. Derek Stingley as a freshman played like a stud, of course. Like I said, I go back to everybody fell in love with these guys as freshmen and then nobody's really talking about the holistic LSU defensive backfield nobody's really talking about the fact that the safety position actually kind of went downhill for LSU after Grant Delpit left and some of those other talented secondary players for them across the top but nobody's really crediting in Alabama of course in in most position group rankings when people are in the preseason ranking it Alabama's going to be in the top four in most position group rankings everywhere anywhere on the football field but I still don't think that this defensive backfield gets talked about enough for how talented they are especially as a collective unit because you look at the years on these guys Josh Joe but junior really had a breakout year last year Jordan Battle was a freshman last year now a sophomore you go to the top you've got Daniel Wright a junior last year also had a breakout year as one of the younger guys they were young last year in that defensive backfield outside of Patrick Sertan and there were some real questions about this Alabama secondary going into last year outside of Patrick Sertan and they answered them and they said hey we're, we're going to be a good 
secondary. Now that Sertan is gone, it's up to somebody else to step up as a lockdown corner, and I, and I think they are still looking for that. But as a unit, it's got to be really comforting to Alabama fans and to uh, you know to other people predicting about this Alabama defense to know that these guys are now going into their second full year of playing, and, it, and it's no longer them having to think about things on the field it's instinctive and they really get to flex their muscles I say this a lot you see the biggest jump in development of player from their first full year of playing to their second full year of playing this is the second full year of playing for a lot of these guys in that secondary which makes it particularly scary for me and and why I think they could end up being the best secondary of the SEC this year yeah and you talk about the way that the schedule lines up I mean I've talked about yesterday about this this Texas A&M matchup on October 9th potentially being a problem but if you have to play Miami Florida and Ole Miss before you have to face Texas A&M I'm not necessarily saying that this uh, secondary is going to have gone through the ringer but they're going to have they're going to have the experience to to maybe combat some of these offenses on the back end you look at LSU on November 6th that's at home while they may be a really good passing team LSU is I mean this secondary you talk about how they've gotten a year of experience under their belt if they get past the first half of this schedule you play Mississippi State October 16th that's another team that is it's literally the air raid might might not be good but it's still the air raid this secondary is going to have opportunities to flex its muscles and to show why it is one of the best secondaries in college football so like you said the the tougher the tougher passing teams are on the front end Miami's going to air the ball out Florida's going to air the ball out now those two teams are also going to accentuate their running quarterbacks play style as well but you also talk about Ole Miss that's a team that's going to throw the ball for for over 300 yards against most teams you break it down after week five you're going to know what you need to know about this Alabama secondary now that's not to say that they won't improve by the end of the year but you're going to know what you need to know and blueprints as you've pointed out you think that the blueprint to beat Alabama is going to be shown by the time they get to that Texas A&M game which is why you you have a, a prediction that Texas A&M is going to beat Alabama this year and there are three teams that could put that blueprint on display we're just going to have to wait and see until about nine days yeah nine days from now when these teams hit the field and you see Alabama taking on Miami that game is going to tell you a lot about this Alabama football team and maybe not as much about the Miami team I think you're going to learn more about Alabama than you will about Miami because we might be cutting Miami a break after having to open up with Alabama but let's take a quick break here when we come back we wrap up hour number one Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one here and going back to how we opened up the show, giving our top five candidates for breakout offensive players for Auburn in 2021. It's time to give our top candidate for a breakout offensive season. Lance, do we have the same player? I believe we do. Well then, break it down. I want Iguodala. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Demetrius Robertson is my number one guy. I believe he's your number one guy as well. Uh, yeah, he, he's obviously had his moments at Cal, had his moments at Georgia, obviously a freshman All-American. You may say, well, why is he a breakout player? It's because he's not really been doing anything since 2016. He's kind of been quiet, kind of under the radar. Let's see what happens in this new Auburn offense. You talk about Elijah Kenyon potentially being that bailout guy for Bo Nix. Could also be D-Rob. I think he's got the talent to do it. And once again, you ask, how is this guy going to be a breakout offensive player? Well, he's been kind of on and off the field. Right. He's been in and out of games, hasn't had 
really consistent playing time across that career at Georgia and the one year where you really got to see him play he did he did make the most of his opportunities but he was logjam behind some receivers now he's the guy and now you're going to get to see that five-star talent that has been in college football for six years so let's see what the super senior can do with the Tigers red turned blue another bulldog the tiger it's worked out in the past that's it for hour number one we'll be back with hour number two in just a few moments coming up at three o'clock we got making headlines and the pac-12 and eh, we, we may not agree with their strategy here you are on the line Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun first hour of the show. Played a little start bench cut. Took a look at some of the SEC quarterbacks, SEC running backs. Also gave our top five candidates for breakout offensive players for Auburn in 2021. If you missed any of the first hour of the show, we encourage you go and check out the podcast. Just search On the Line on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. If you're not subscribed or if you're not following it, hit that button and uh, support the show that way by subscribing or following the On the Line podcast. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Travis on the line with us. Travis, how you doing today, my man? Doing good, guys. Man, I tell you what, there's so much Bama talk in the first hour. I thought the JLo was on for a second. It was just a segment. We talked uh, three quarters of the of the first hour about Auburn. Yeah, well, you know, I told you I was going to try to call in today and get my defensive predictions. I gave offensive last week, but uh, guys, I want to start in the secondary. Uh, I predict this could be one of the best in the conference as far as the group goes. I mean, Tennyson, Kaufman, McCreary, Critchett. I mean, who else? Smoke. I mean, they're just they're some absolute dudes in the back end of the Auburn secondary. Uh, linebackers, you know, McLean, Popo, Wooten. I mean, they're, they're just as good as anybody that you're going to find in the country as a group goes. Uh, in fact, I don't know if y'all saw this, but Cole Kublick actually had Pepo and uh, McLean as two of his top four middle linebackers in the SEC. Did y'all see that tweet he put out? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as the defensive line goes, that's probably – I don't think it's a weak spot for Auburn, but when you compare it to the linebackers in the secondary, I think it'll be, you know, the the weakest. I don't think it's weak at all, but, uh, you know, it's the one that's going to need the most work. The thing is, when you go to this 3-4 scheme, you only have to count on three defensive linemen, you know, instead of four, like Auburn's had to do in the past in the 3-4 base defense. But then, you know, teams are going spread so much nowadays. Most of the defense you're going to run is that 4-2 nickel scheme, and then you really only have to rely on two interior defensive linemen because your two outside guys are primarily uh, outside linebackers. And, That's right. Uh, you know, Wooten and Wooten, I think, will handle that. And uh, I think we're not going to have to to rely on the defensive line to make a lot of plays in the interior just because the linebackers are so good. All they have to do is just eat gaps, you know, don't don't lose gap control. 
And I think this defense will be just fine. Uh, guy, is Derek Mason, has he been in quarantine or is it just Harson? Well, Derek Mason did just put out a, a statement a couple of days ago that said that he had recovered, that he's doing fine, and, and he said that he was vaccinated so that he, he's good to go, and, and Harson should be back by Monday. But honestly, Travis, I don't have the answer to that question. I know he tested positive, but uh, I would imagine that he should be back pretty soon, if, if not already. Yeah, y'all, uh, y'all let me know if y'all agree or disagree with this. As far as the, the COVID stuff goes with Harson, um, you know, I, I would be – it would be more concerning to me if Penn State was a week one game. We had to play them in nine days. But, you know, Auburn basically has two more weeks to fall camp when you look at it. Since they're facing Akron and Alabama State, they're going to be big favorites in those games. And, um, you know, they'll only do probably about, I would guess, about two days of preparation for each of those teams during game week. And all other efforts as far as a, a, you know, a prep standpoint will go towards Penn State. Um, so, you know, Harson being out doesn't really have a lot of effect on the entire season. Uh, but, you know, if Penn State was, was week one, because, you know, I don't know if you already feel still, but he, he had Penn State as like the comeback team of the year or something That's right. like that. That's not going to be any cupcake going to Happy Valley week three. You know, I, I kind of disagree with Phil Still on that. I, I'm actually looking at my Phil Still magazine right now, too. I mean, as it says on the front, the the one book that uh, that experts can't do without, you know, but Penn State I'm just still not sold on that team and that centers around the offensive line I think it's absolutely atrocious and I and I don't know if offenses were affected as much last season as defenses were there there were much fewer teams that took a step back offensively than teams that took a step back defensively last year due to COVID-19 and Penn State was one of those few teams that just had a lot of issues on offense and I think that that's more for actual the fact that they actually have issues and it centers around that O-line so I, I really like Auburn's chances going into that ball game but you are dead on in saying that Auburn's got an extra two weeks of fall camp I will also say this Travis you know whenever you look at this Penn State team I agree with Noah I think matchup wise Auburn definitely uh, has got a lot of advantages but I will say what Auburn definitely could see see uh, see some struggles from we could see some struggles from Bo Nix simply because that environment and what he's done on the road during his two seasons at Auburn. Uh, I will say Auburn, I think, matches up well, but I do agree with you with that. It's not some cupcake game. I mean, guys, I appreciate your input. And, uh, yeah, you know, you know, hopefully we can get get everything ironed out with Bo, all the mistakes ironed out his first two weeks. And uh, cause I think that'll be I mean, basically like two, different, two more scrimmages for Auburn where you're not having to play yourself. Right. You're seeing different looks and – you know, you're not you're not playing against defensive teams that know what you're about to run offensively. They don't know your calls, and so I think that'll be some really good film that Auburn can get heading up the week three in Happy Valley. And I think they're going to be wide open in those first two ball games, probably because if Absolutely. if the scrimmages have been any type of indicator, they they are working on that passing game and putting pressure on this quarterback situation. And I think that'll maybe not the pressure aspect because I don't, I don't know how much pressure Akron and Alabama State, at least you should hope that they're not able to get pressure on the quarterbacks. But you know they're going to be making them get to the line, make their checks, you know, pre-snap reads and all and whatnot and actually go through their progressions uh, over the course of a snap and, and make plays with their arms. I think that's exactly what you're going to be looking at those first two games. Uh, offensively, do y'all think that there's pressure on Harson, or do you think he's feeling any pressure on Harson and Bobo to to come out and show the Auburn family that you know this is how a team we're going to be? Or do you think he'll he'll be, you know, run run his base stuff, but really not try to show too much in order to try to surprise Penn State? You know, we've talked about this a couple of times throughout 
the fall. And, 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 and like I was just saying, you know, I think that he's going to come out there and be wide open just because I think by, by necessity, they have to work on these things. Like they, they don't know that they can do his new offense in a live game setting. They don't know that. And these are the first opportunities that they really get to do that. And you get two games to try that out before you play Penn State. I think you have to at least do some things and put some things on film. Also, the other side of this is Brian Harson is known for throwing a lot of things on the wall, putting a lot of things on the canvas, and making other teams have to prepare for all of these different situations. I don't think Brian Harson is the type to be reserved in order to hide things. I actually think he's the type to throw so much out on film that that's how he disguises tendencies rather than Malzahn, who it was clear that he had tendencies. He just tried to hide it for a couple of games before he finally had to do something against a good team. Yeah, and I hope you're 100% right because, I mean, as, as a fan, and I know y'all are the same way, we're already seeing a change on offense for, for good. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I'll try to call next week, guys, get my score prediction for the game, but I appreciate y'all letting me on, War Eagle. Appreciate it, Travis. That was Travis on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Hope you have a good day, my man, and look forward to hearing you call back again next week. Lance, any input there? Yeah, absolutely. I would I would strongly encourage him and anybody else listening out there next week to call in and please give your score prediction for the game. I want to actually write them down, actually keep track, and us come back on Monday and kind of go over some some of our thoughts, some of what the, the fans and the callers were thinking, and just kind of uh, based on what we see against Akron, kind of conclude whether or not we were all right or wrong. I would absolutely love that. What is your takeaway or, or what is your prediction for how Auburn's going to approach that game against Akron? Wide open or reserved? You know, like you said, we've talked about it a little bit before on the show, and I think it's a really interesting question. I genuinely believe that Auburn is, like you said, going to have to put some things on film, and you can tell based on what we've seen through the scrimmages, Auburn's trying to work on that passing game. I think they are going to throw it around a little bit. Is it going to be overly complex or anything overly special no but I do think Auburn comes out there and I think they are going to try and make a statement I truly as a fan I hope that's what they go out there and do number to call 334-321-1390 we want to hear from you back in hour number one we gave our top five candidates for breakout offensive players for the Auburn Tigers in 2021 throw some names out there for us too who do you think We'll have a breakout season this year on the offensive side of the ball. Tomorrow, we need to do the defensive side of the football. But getting into our next segment here, making headlines as we start off every hour number two and taking a look at a certain se- uh, certain statement from the Pac-12 conference about expansion. Lance, you've got that in front of you. Just an hour ago, Pac-12 put it out a bunch of different places, but I'm looking at it here on their Twitter page. It's a statement on expansion. Following consultation with our presidents and athletic directors, the Pac-12 Conference has made the decision to not pursue expansion of our membership at this time. This decision was made following extensive internal discussion and analysis and is based on current strength and cohesiveness of our 12 universities. It is also grounded in our confidence and our ability as a conference to best support our student-athletes to grow and thrive both academically and athletically. Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for them. I love that. That was kind of that was kind of what I was thinking whenever I looked at this. I was like, "All right, good job, guys." Thanks to for be letting fair, us know. though, the Pac-12, and I'll be fair to them here. The Pac-12 is in a really tough situation. Who would you add? You'd add Boise State. I was about I to think. say Boise would be one. But if you're Boise State, of course, the money draw is great, and sure, that would be a good pull for them. But you and I have discussed before in the past why would Gonzaga leave the WCC? 
You know what I mean? Like, they don't really offer a whole lot outside of basketball. They get to run their ship there. They, they already get the Kings ransom from the West Coast Conference. Why potentially hurt themselves by moving to a better conference? Of course, the money is there for Boise State to move to the Pac-12, but would it potentially drown their other sports and put, that, put them into that bottom tier in the Pac-12? And football... Boise State's been consistently at the top of the Mountain West, but has still been traditionally about a two or three loss team every year. And of course, they they go to Mountain West title games, they win Mountain West title games. And I think football would still rise up to be in that top third of the Pac-12. But the other sports is where I have possible concerns for Boise State. But other teams out there, who else would you add? I'm not sure. I'm looking at the Mountain West right now, and I'm trying to decide if it were me. San Diego State, maybe? So, my yeah, the three options I'm looking at are potentially San Diego State, Hawaii, because I just think that would be fun. And no, no reason other than that it would be fun. Or uh, Nevada would be the three teams that I would think about. But Aside n- from n- Boise. Yeah, none of those three teams have been, like, I would say prestigious enough to kind of get into a conference like the Pac-12. Right, I was about to ask that. I was about to say, do any of those teams really move the needle? No. And I actually think they'd kind of be opposed to having Hawaii in the Pac-12 because of the travel restraints and the the strenuous nature of having to play an eight-game schedule, or actually it's a nine-game schedule, excuse me, having to play a nine-game schedule, which... Hawaii's still really far away it's <laughs> from still, the West Coast. Right. Like that's still a nasty trip. Only reason again is because I just think it would be fun. I think that yeah. there would be a lot of allure, a lot of attraction to if I were a fan of a Pac-12 team to either as a super fan go to Hawaii for a game or watch it on television. But I think what you and I have just broke down here is they don't really have a lot of options. Now maybe they could pluck a team or two from the Big 12, but nothing shouts pacific coast and you know those oregon trees and all that good stuff up down there on the or up there on the pacific northwest like tumbleweeds at texas tech you know like and that's about as far west as it gets in the big 12 what about byu could we see them at byu in boise i think there was some talk in the past about byu coming but it broke down for whatever reason and now obviously you see byu in the now you see BYU in the in the independence. Yeah. So I don't know quite what broke down there between BYU and the Pac-12, but the the fact that Boise State and BYU aren't already in the Pac-12 and they're kind of passing. I knew BYU had a great season last year, but as you've told me off air a couple of times and talking about some of these group of five and independent schools, BYU is taking a step back this year. BYU is not going to be a top 25 team when it's all said and done at the end of this year. They're going to be struggling to get to a bowl game, possibly, depending on what that schedule looks like, which I haven't actually... I, uh, forgive me, I haven't dug in deep on the BYU Cougars, you know, but still, like I, I would imagine that this team, the, the quality is going to drop with all the production that they left. They don't have Zach Wilson anymore. Boise State, I think, is past their prime as well from what you saw with Chris Peterson there. Is now the time for them to go to the Pac-12? Now that they are past their prime, and furthermore, is it time for the Pac-12 to bring those two institutions in since they are past their prime? I think for the fact that we haven't seen it already, we probably won't see it. And guess what? There comes that statement. So it's kind of like it stinks for the Pac-12. There aren't really good programs that they could bring in that aren't already in the Pac-12 at this point. They, they, they did the best they could to get to 12 teams when they brought in Colorado and Utah. I'm counting up. They play one, two, three four five 
teams that are from the Pac-12 on their schedule this year. BYU does. Uh, Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, uh, Washington State, and USC. And then they also play Boise State October 9th, which should be a fun game. So let's see how that goes for them. Yeah, let's let's see how this schedule uh, pans out for them. You know, they bring back seven starters on offense, four on defense. Uh, it, they've not got a quarterback coming back. Actually, believe it or not, the quarterback that's projected to start, at least according to Athlon Sports, is the uh, the brother of Gunnar Romney, one of their top receivers, believe it or not. Baylor Romney, projected, projected starter. Phil Steele may have something different, but... Uh, interesting there but it's good yeah overall it's going to be interesting to see how BYU handles this schedule because they've got quite a few Pac-12 teams on it outside of the Pac-12 they play Baylor and Virginia as well also a tough Sun Belt matchup with Georgia Southern they play USF like I said I think this team is going to be fighting to, to get to six and seven wins so I go back to my point about Pac-12 expansion and how they're kind of saying nah not for us it may be because they, they don't like a whole lot of the institutions that surround them at this point and, and none have really materialized as like, yes, this is going to move the needle for us. So this alliance thing that supposedly, according to ESPN, sources that told ESPN that they were driving that, uh, they're probably going to be clinging to it pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this, just a, a random final side note about BYU. I kind of wish they would do the Holy War later on in the year. They're playing them week two this year. Like, if that's a rivalry game, wouldn't you want to do it, like, during rivalry week? Like, wouldn't that be cool? But the way that the Pac-12 schedule is set up, true. they play, like, nine conference games straight a lot of times for some of these teams. So it's a little bit harder to fit it in for Utah. But I'm with you. It would be It would be better Another headline, the number four overall recruit in the 2021 class, Amoni Bates, committed to Memphis. He reclassified down to the 2021 class, a six foot eight, 200-pound small Ford out of Ypsilanti, Michigan. He jumped down to the 2021 class, and he was still a top-five player, and he took Memphis over Michigan State, the in-state school for him, and the G League. Yeah, boy, howdy, those uh, bags of barbecue really be hitting different up in Tennessee instead of McDonald's bags. It's Memphis barbecue. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Memphis gave him money or anything. But yeah, it's surprising to see Memphis. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not not saying that. It's surprised to see Memphis with with all these different recruits. Penny Hardaway, obviously an excellent, excellent recruiter, but not they've not yielded results with those guys. And there's been some issues, obviously, James Wiseman. There was an ESPN article that said that they, it puts them squarely as a potential Final Four team, and I was like, I kind of had this like Shrek moment. I was like, oh, you and what army? Exactly. Like, come on. So they're talented, right? And Penny Hardaway, obviously, and his coaching staff are really good recruiters, but they're not coaching these kids to, to win games. And you look, I, I, I also, very similarly, I saw a CBS Sports notification saying, like, whoever does their top 25 throughout the offseason is like, oh, they've they've – They've jumped like tremendously into the top 10 and they're going to be a really good team. I'm like, I just, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Got to see it first, you know, and they play in a league that has got some good teams at the top traditionally, but still, I think the American Athletic Conference isn't overly challenging on a game to game basis. And that can kind of lower your quality as the year goes on. I mean, that there's a big reason why you look at Gonzaga. Yes, they made the championship game, but what happened? They got torched, you know, and I think it does lower the quality of some of these teams by the time that they get to by the time that they get to the end. Last bullet point here: the United States men's national team announced its 26-man roster for World Cup qualifiers. And I, I don't bring this up for us to talk about soccer for a long period of time, especially because we have to go to break, and also folks don't want to talk about soccer a whole bunch. But I do think that 
the profile of the game has grown in the country since Jurgen Klinsmann took over much earlier in the last decade, really around that last World Cup qualifying stint that the United States actually made the World Cup back when you were talking about all the way into 2014 in Brazil. I think the game has grown a lot in this country. You look at the young quality of this national team and what they did this past summer, there is real reason to be excited again if you checked out a little bit of United States soccer in the last four years because they didn't make a World Cup. Those young stars that you were waiting on, you were like, look, just wait till these guys develop. They're going to be pretty good. That's this That's this 26-man roster that has been put on for World Cup quali- qualifiers, and there's a lot of reason to be excited. A lot of guys playing overseas, a lot of guys playing in the Premier League or in some of those other English leagues just right below it in the championship and then also into even Italy with Juventus, into Spain with Barcelona, into France with some other teams like uh, like Lille with Tim Weah. There's some good there's some good players. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, for for uh, a fan that's checked out, or for a, a person like me who has not uh, been following soccer for for most of his life, it's a, it's a reason to get into it and kind of figure out well, what the sport's about and and, and some of the United States uh, top players, see what they're about. If this group doesn't qualify for the World Cup, it will be a. If any United States group doesn't qualify for the World Cup, it's a serious failure. But this national team is particularly interesting for me because it will be their first time really on the world stage as a collective group because they've been spread out bits and pieces on different teams and now they're being all drawn together this I've heard some people saying this is the best roster makeup that the United States men's national team has put together for a world cup qualifier so and qualifiers start in September it's not that far it's it's literally in a couple weeks that they'll take the field That's it for our making headline statement. When we come back, we've got some audio from Auburn's players press conference from earlier today. Auburn's newly named captains, linebackers Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten spoke to the media earlier today. We talk about that Auburn defensive line and what they had to say when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawdy, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Just finished our Making Headlines segment. Pac-12 opting to not expand. Charlie Brewer named the starting quarterback for Utah. Number four overall recruiting the 2021 class. Amoni Bates committed to Memphis. A lot of good stuff there. If you've missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast Auburn football's newly named captains Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten spoke with the media earlier today over the next couple of segments we're going to be breaking down some of their audio and what they had to say about not only this defense uh, but also about being named captains and Marcus Harris from listening to the press conference earlier today Marcus Harris was a hot topic of conversation at media availability earlier this afternoon Uh, some of these things you're breaking it down I'm, I'm kind of curious what we expect to see from him coming from Kansas and some of these guys touched on that here in this segment let's take a listen to what Marcus to what these guys had to say about Marcus Harris his speed off the ball you know being able to move pass rush stop the run is really nothing that man can't do um, so I'm excited to see what he's able to do against SEC competition because um, he has a lot of proof you know coming from Kansas you know you know, obviously people don't, you know, relate that a lot to the SEC at times, but, you know, um, he didn't come in that way. He came in really, very, very humble, ready to work. Um, and that's one thing I love about him. He just comes in every day, works hard, doesn't say too much. 
um, when he gets his job done, and he's reliable. So every time I see him in front of me, I know I'm good. Man, he's just a dog, man. Has a really good get off. Super strong, man. Makes makes a lot of plays in the backfield, and he, he has a pretty good uh, pass rush skill set to him too. But um, man, you can tell that he's hungry and he's ready to make a lot of plays for us. Uh, you can just with everything he does, from how he approaches, you know, studying film, uh, being in the weight room, going hard, and even how he practices every day. Uh, you can just tell that he's really motivated and ready to have a huge year. That was Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten speaking about Marcus Harris and what he is bringing to the table this upcoming year. Glowing comments about Marcus Harris blowing off the ball, being good at pass rushing, also run stopping. And you, I know you do a lot with Zach Blackerby with the Locked On Auburn podcast and on his 22-man roster. And we asked him about this earlier in the, in the week. He had Marcus Harris as a potential starter on, uh, at that defensive tackle position, just like Colby Wooden, that those two interior defensive end spots. So what are you expecting to see from Marcus Harris this upcoming season? Well, uh, Zach and Justin Ferguson on the Locked On Auburn podcast have been breaking it down a little bit, and they both have him as the potential starter uh, for on, on this defensive line. Uh, so a word that's mentioned a lot whenever talking about Harris is his versatility. Uh, Mason said that he was as advertised after uh, he transferred to Auburn, coming off a, a pretty good season as, at Harris, or at, uh, at Kansas. Uh, Harris is incredibly disruptive. He, like I mentioned, he's versatile. Uh, he's really good at run stopping, really good at pass rushing. It's going to pair with Colby Wooden up front. Again, there's a, there's so much competition on this defensive line. And again, Zach and both Justin are really high on this kid. They've got him starting. But I believe, yeah, at the end of the day, he's going to get a shot at that starting spot. Uh, simply because he's just such a versatile, talented guy. And to bring in somebody this young like Marcus Harris, and you and I have gone back and forth on this, you're like, I don't care where he's come from. If he's been productive like as he was as a freshman at Kansas, we'll take him. I don't care that it was Kansas. He's still a really talented guy. You get a guy like Marcus Harris on your roster, if he's producing in fall camp as an SEC caliber player with SEC caliber players around him, I think that speaks a lot to not only what he can do this season, but to his future. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he is producing right now. And, and you heard Chandler Wooten say, if that guy's in front of me, I'm, I feel good because he's reliable right right and that is high praise for me for looking at this defensive line last year and, and Wooten may have not have been out there but he still watched the team and and for these two linebackers to know that last year that defensive line didn't play up to snuff and a lot of times it left them stranded a bit and, and I think hurt their play a little and the production of course doesn't necessarily speak to that but Auburn's run stopping last season was not as good as it was in previous years. The defensive line was a big part of that. The fact that they're calling it reliable right now in fall camp, that's a huge testament to what Marcus Harris has added and what this coaching staff saw in him when they were seeing him out there in the transfer portal coming from Kansas. So don't knock the book just because it says Kansas on the top of it. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Thirty minutes left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Newly named captains Owen Papo and Chandler Wooten spoke to the media earlier today. We'll continue breaking down that audio, but first, Lance, it has already begun. Sunni Lee Mania. I don't know if people know this, but about 27 minutes ago dancing with the stars announced that suny lee olympic gold medalist and now auburn tiger 
is going to be on Dancing with the Stars. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And and you would assume that she's getting compensated for that, right? That was my first thought. I was like, there has to be some money involved with this, right? Yeah, absolutely. How often do you see collegiate athletes on this show? Probably not very often, and she's gonna she's gonna most likely be the first. I, I couldn't tell you if there's been any collegiate athletes before her on the show, but I would assume that she's probably the first. And it's exciting to see, you know, see Auburn kind of branch out in terms of all their different uh, sports. See see uh, a gymnast out there being one of the the, the front runners or the there she's at the forefront of like Auburn faces. Whenever you think about the athletes on campus right now, Auburn absolutely dominates network television think about this dancing with the stars the bachelor uh let's take it to the next uh, i'm trying to think uh the uh, the college bowl yep. i mean just we Auburn's dominating network television right now yeah and then you see here you see you know uh, Suni Lee. I'm really excited for her, man. I really hope that that as the years go on, we get to see some Auburn basketball, some Auburn football players get involved in really cool stuff like this. I mean, it's bound to happen at some point. But yeah, shout out to her. You know, it's so wild to think at 18, you know, you've already won a gold medal. You've you've done all these different things. You had so many different accomplishments. And here you are going to college. <laughs> it's just like you've already done so many things that you should be doing after you go to college that I hope that she doesn't let everything get to her head. I hope she understands that she's still, you know, she's got so much to learn, so many things to accomplish, and that she doesn't let all this, like, dancing with the stars and winning gold medals get to her, that she's still got so much set out in front of her that she can focus and she can she can enjoy stuff like this, but she can, she can get through college. Switching back to Owen Pampo and Chandler Wooten's media availability earlier today. In our previous segment, we were talking about their glowing remarks about Marcus Harris and how he was a hot topic of conversation today from those two linebackers. But furthermore, these guys had stuff to say about the progression of the Auburn defensive line and that it should be better this upcoming year. So with these new bodies entering the room, guys like Tony Fair, Marcus Harris, they got some good remarks from these linebackers. Defensive line seems to be making a progression forward. Let's take a listen to that audio. Yeah, uh, obviously that, that room right there is trending in the right direction right now. Um, they had a great camp. Um, you know, they laid the foundation for what they want to accomplish this season. Um, obviously with Kobe Wooden up there, you know, returning from last year, you know, obviously he's been big. Um, and Marcus Harris coming in from Kansas, he's been also big as well. Um, Tony Fair and, you know, the list goes on and on. Zakevious Walker. All those guys have really stepped up. Uh, this offseason getting stronger, getting bigger, some of them trimming down, um, you know, just being able to play fast and physical. And so, um, I'm looking forward to a big uh, season from that role. Yeah, man, they taking up the blocks, man. Just listen, allowing us to run and make plays. Um, I think the guy who's had the, the biggest camp on defense overall was uh, Kobe Wooden. Uh, just disrupting plays all in the backfield all the time, uh, getting sacks, tackles for losses, all that, man. So, um, but other than him, man, the guys like Tony Fair, Marcus Harris, you got TD and Derek on the edge, man. All of them making plays, man. So our front, our front seven, gonna be some serious. Owen Papo was the second voice there that people heard Chandler Wooten the first and I want to focus in on Owen Papo bringing up Colby Wooden because these players oftentimes a lot of stories have been written about this the narrative through fall camp a lot of questions have been asked about new players because there are a lot of new players you're asked about Roe Torrance Roe Torrance came up during the press conference today they've been asked about Marcus Harris they've been asked about Tony Farrell a lot they've been asked about by Darius Knighton Donovan Kaufman it's always about the new guys but Colby Wooden specifically brought up there by Owen Papo as a disruptor and as the guy who has played the best at the defensive line spots across all of these players competing. 
I get the vibe that Colby Wooden's about to have a huge year because he was consistently the best player on that defensive line last year as a youngster. And once again, I go back to, and I've said this today, I've said this many times, your second full year of playing is when you see that biggest jump in development. And Colby Wooden, I think, is is primed for a huge season. And I believe he was still Auburn's sack leader last year, wasn't he? He was tied at the top. Tied yeah. at the top? Yeah. To have that type of production at the, at the top of the defensive line last year, it's his time to shine. Like you mentioned, it's his time to break out. And if, we, if we're going to do, and I believe we will at some point, we're going to do our top five breakout players for the defensive side of the football, I can only imagine that he would be in our top five. And an, an exceptional athlete. Again, everybody likes to be down, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox here, but everybody in the media is kind of down on this Auburn football team. But they've got so much talent on this roster, man, and Colby Wooden is just another example of it. Don't even get me started. Dude, Don't even get, get me started. started. There were a couple of comments yesterday from Texas A&M fans that I received on Twitter saying, well, this was a 6-4 and four Auburn team. I was like, that was still like one of five teams that had a winning record in the SEC, and they almost beat your team. They played pretty well last year in that game against A&M, and they played pretty well against some of the good teams on their schedule, but just really it was so bad against Georgia and Alabama that that is what sticks out in people's minds. And yes, Auburn was down last year compared to most years even under Malzahn I think that was last year's team was one of the worst teams that Malzahn had or or one of the worst performing teams that Malzahn had but it's still on a regular year would have been like eight and four so I'm excited for the talent to see them now become upperclassmen some of these young guys that stepped in last year especially on that defensive line it was to be expected that the D-line wasn't going to be as good this year is the year where they get to flex their muscles and actually show their development last year they were just trying to get their feet under them they were just trying to learn the game it was their first year actually getting playing time significant playing time because marlon davidson and Derek brown were two guys that you wanted on the field at all times now these guys are really getting significant snaps and yet heard of colby wooden until like game two of last season right you hadn't heard of him or really that kentucky game i, I shouldn't say game two i should, say, should just say until last season you hadn't heard of colby wooden and then he emerges onto the scene you know it's like there are other guys that were in the same boat on the Stevens line that we just hadn't seen hadn't seen a whole lot of Zykevis Walker hadn't seen a whole lot of these guys it had been mainly Big Cat Bryant T.D. Moultrie Derek Brown Tyrone Truesdale and um, Marlon Davidson for for several years and then finally you get some new blood in there on that D-line of course it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve and I'm excited to see that curve finally take off with exponential growth this upcoming season now I want to get to these two linebackers and them being asked about themselves Chandler Wooten discussed his leadership meeting Harson that first meeting that he had with Brian Harson and returning to the team and what that was like as I'm sure most people have seen there probably were some questions about Chandler Wooten returning to this team after having opted out a season ago let's take a listen to what Chandler Wooten had to say about those three topics it was awesome man just to hear those words come out of his mouth um to know that you know my teammates voted me and Owen as permanent captains um it just um it was a true honor and a blessing just because you know to go from opted out, you know, to come back and earn the respect of my teammates all over again. Um, it was truly a blessing. And so, I, you know, it's a great honor and something I don't take lightly. Yeah, our, our, our first meeting was actually supposed to be quick, you know, five minutes or so, but it ended up being like 45 minutes. And we just ended up talking about life, you know, about fatherhood, about my goals and where I wanted to go, um, and, you know, his goals and where he wanted to take the program. And so um, just off that first conversation, I remember walking out of the office and talking to Coach Schmidt, and I was like, yeah, that's the kind of coach I want to play for. And so ever since then, me and Coach Harson, we've just been real tight, real tight, real close. Um, and, you know, he asked me who I was, 
was one of the first questions he asked me, and I was, and I just looked at him. I told him I'm a leader. You know, and he kind of told me like, you know, we kind of don't really have any leaders right now. We're starting from scratch. You know what I mean? And I just looked at him. I said, Coach, I'm a leader. And from that point forward, we just had a mutual respect for each other. And you know, obviously, I, I have a lot of respect for him, um, just the kind of person he is. You know, and so. I mean, if I was in his shoes, I, I would have questioned it too. You know, he didn't know why. After that, he just knew y'all wasn't here and I wanted to come back. Um, you know, so if I was in his position, you know, and I, you know, was trying to start a new culture and, you know, build a program from the ground up, you know, I, I would have had the same kind of questions. And so, you know, just us having that conversation and, you know, just sitting down and talking, you know, about life, it wasn't even really about football. Um, you know, that, that just kind of brought us close together. And from that day forward, you know, me and him, you know, we just talk all the time, you know, just about any and everything. And so our relationship is real good. And so I'm glad we had that kind of conversation. That was Chandler Wooten speaking on his leadership role with the team, his first meeting with Brian Harson, and then also what that was like returning to the team and the questions that surrounded his opt-out. Takeaways from that? Yeah, I'm just really happy to see, you know, it's a it's been a question this offseason is how quickly is Harson going to be able to establish his culture and what exactly that means. What 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 does the culture mean? And it's it's exciting to see players like Wooten step away from the program, come back and have so many positive things to say about Brian Harson and, and some of these guys on this coaching staff. It really speaks to this coaching staff's ability to kind of they've been able to establish themselves with these players. They've gotten to know them, they've gotten to, to interact with them and they've gotten close to each other like Wooten said so it's really just exciting to see that this is becoming a close-knit group and I can only imagine a season through the SEC is going to only solidify this group even more what impact do you expect to see from Chandler Wooten because what sticks out to me so much from that audio clip is that he says I'm a leader and other players have talked about him as a leader oh and Papo in the press conference today spoke about how happy he was how he and Jacoby McLean are so happy to see him entering the linebacker room again because they were playing a lot of snaps last year and honestly Jacoby McLean and Owen Papo's tackle production it's probably going to drop this year there's more bodies out there that are going to play but that's a good thing these guys don't have to have 200 tackles combined that's not normal and that's probably not a good indication of defensive line play either at least under Auburn's previous system this one it lends a hand to have linebackers gobbling up tackles but still I think it's a good thing the more guys that get on the field after Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain because this this is probably the last ride for these two guys and you need some of the freshmen to get out there like Tisdall like Steiner you need some of those guys to get out there but it's great to have a player a vocal leader like Chandler Wooten and also Owen Papo which I want to get to him later too but speaking specifically about Chandler Wooten it's great to have him as a leader although he may not be a starter he's kind of he's kind of that second guy there but he's going to help bring along these these younger players exactly. that are that are right behind him. Yeah, exactly. You asked what he can do for this football team this season. I mean, when whenever McLean and Papo aren't out there, he's going to be out there. And if there are some new guys out there, or even when McLean and Papo are out there, he's going to be that leader. And that's what I would expect from him this season, is to be go out there and be that leader. And whenever McLean or Papo need a rest, there is no drop-off at that position. There is no drop-off whenever Chandler Wooten steps onto the field. He's going to be that third guy that can go out there and not necessarily coach the defense, but be that quarterback of the defense. Be that guy on the field. 
I don't expect Auburn's Auburn's like you said the linebacking production to drop off whenever McLean and Papa are, are are not on the field because Auburn's got so many bodies now and they've got a guy like Wooten to come out there and step up that I think they're going to be just fine. So what am I looking for Wooten to do? Be that leader on the field whenever he steps out there and for the production and for the play to not drop off a single bit. Oh, and Papo spoke about what it meant for him to be named a captain at Auburn and I just I'm so happy to see Owen Papo he's emerged as a great ambassador for this program and it shows in the fact that he was taking the media days did a great job there you and I got to speak with him that was excellent conversation I thought he represented the program very well there at the main podium and all the different media rooms and then you talk about the fact that he's at the groundbreaking for the new football facility the all football facility this past weekend he's really emerged as like a vocal ambassador for this program let's take a listen to what he had to say about being named a captain yeah man it was amazing like um a lot of people don't know, but Auburn was actually my one of my uh, my second offer, and I got that in the eighth grade. And I remember, you know, taking that tour on the campus when I came on a visit, and they showing me the bricks on the ground, saying, "Yeah, you know, uh, these are the captain bricks. You know, if you're elected a captain, you get a brick on the ground." So I just remember thinking about it, like, "Yeah, man, I'll be cool to, to uh, cool thing to have one day." And you know, just to be selected by my teammates, man, it, it means a lot to me. It, it just shows me that all the work I've been putting in. Uh, from leadership and to just handling my business on the field has paid off. But, um, you know, it's an amazing feeling, man. And I'm, I'm excited, man, and I'm ready to lead. That was Owen Papo speaking on what it meant to him to be named a captain at Auburn. But, yeah, I go back to he's really emerged as a great ambassador for this program, like the ambassador for this year's Auburn football team. Yeah, and like you said, it goes past the football field. I mean, he's obviously been a, lo- a vocal leader in the locker room, but you mentioned him being there for the groundbreaking ceremony for their new facility that they're going to be building. I mean, he's just a fantastic kid. We got, like you mentioned, to speak with him at SEC Media Days. Again, like you mentioned, represents this program and this university well very well spoken obviously he has that leader mentality whenever you get to speak with him whenever you listen to him talk he's going to be another guy that Auburn is going to look to to lead this defense most people whenever they think of a program or they think of players on the team they think of the quarterback as being that guy and obviously Nix is going to be able to go out there and lead but whenever you look at this defense I really really like some of the guys that Auburn has on that team they're I feel like they work well as a cohesive unit and they've got these leaders in this linebacking core that kind of bring everybody together let's take a quick break here and when we come back we wrap up the thursday edition of on the line last couple of minutes of the thursday edition of on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you before we get out of here let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight Not a whole lot going on on network television, so we're just going to go straight to movie selections for this evening. Clint Eastwood stars in Gran Torino on AMC at 7. Mission Impossible Fallout. At some point, the mission will be impossible. That's on FX Movies at 6.30. Machines took over the world and humans' reality is inside a simulation. The Matrix is on Paramount at 6. Try and wrap your head around that. Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx star in Law Abiding Citizen on TNT at 7. In live sports, high school football, it's that time of year where you're you're still trying to get there to week one where you're going to get high school football. You've got some SWAC games this upcoming weekend. Alcorn State and North Carolina Central play each other, but high school football on tonight on ESPNU at 7. Sting, do you know these teams? Texas matchup in Arlington at AT AT&T Stadium between Southlake Carroll and Highland Park. 
I know you're from Texas. Do you know these two? I'm kind of familiar with Highland Park, but the other one doesn't really ring a bell. I'm from Houston, so Arlington is outside of Dallas. Yeah. This is pretty far away. I mean, about four hours the on the road. Yeah. The country when you're talking about it, the state of Texas, yeah, but basically, yeah. Little League World Series tonight as well. There's a semifinal game at six on ESPN. PGA Tour golf replay a first round play at BMW Championship. That's on Golf Channel from seven to eleven, and then Paralympics 2020 in Tokyo. That's from eight p.m. to two a.m. So some good stuff to watch tonight. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And you said, well, there's not. You you started off. It was like, well, there's not a whole, a whole lot of great stuff on net, uh, uh, network programming tonight, and we should have just like turned down the hotkey and be like, and that's what's on TV tonight. <laughs> it's like that's it. Also, Brady just showed me there's something on fire outside of the rebel stadium like it's just like it's uh outside of old miss old, old miss stadium yeah it's just wow. what, what twitter account is that from that looks bad flint foster flint foster who is that individual no clue no clue, no clue. well hope everything's going great there I, i'm 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 wearing my rebels hat right now and brady turned to me it was just like oh by the way uh vaunt hemingway is is apparently on fire i hope everything's i hope everything's okay it's it's concerning very interesting very interesting a couple minutes left in the show here we got about three minutes until the drive with bill cameron want to encourage everybody if you're just now tuning in and you missed any of the show today go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio. that's how you can keep up with us also on radio alabama sports.net and on the radio alabama sports facebook page followed on twitter as well at radio al sports between collegiate and high school sports content we've got you covered once again that's radio alabama sports.net some high school football of course i was just mentioning that it's that time of year where it starts to get on television and locally one of the best high school football rivalries in this entire state auburn and opelika they square off tomorrow night yeah it's going to be really exciting uh what are your thoughts on that matchup heading in obviously opelika suffered a loss in heartbreaking fashion last week you think the tigers can uh carry their momentum of their shutout into this game or do you think it's still up in the air because it's a rivalry game it's always up in the air with this ball game and opelika may have lost in a heartbreaker to callaway last week and i think this auburn team is very talented i think this auburn high team can very much so make it back to the state championship game i think i think that they are that good but this is a rivalry game and anything can happen and this game truly if you've kept up with the results over the last decade or so it doesn't matter that what's 7a it doesn't matter that what's 6a it doesn't matter just throw all those labels out the window it's going to be a good football game and i've watched some good ones too over the last decade there's been some really fun ones so yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely. I'll be tuning into that game. And again, if you want to listen to any Auburn High game uh, this fall, you can tune into Wings 94.3. All the broadcast will be over there on our sister station. Yep. 7 o'clock kickoff, Wings 94.3. Listen to Scott Bagwell, head coach Robert Maddox, or former head coach Robert Maddox, and then as well as Brady Somersell as well with us out there on the radio. So he's uh our producer also our sideline reporter for some of our um for some of our interviews with our head coach keith etheridge and uh he's also known as intern belichick here on on the line just a few moments here before we get out of here lance we've talked a lot about week zero coming up you got any potential upsets happening this weekend yeah give me hawaii over ucla i'm kidding although i will say i think hawaii covers in that game as of right now my gut tells me hawaii is going to cover that 17 point spread feel that there's a lot of like wide opens like everything's more than 10 points 
with the exception of one game, and I'm having a hard time remembering it's who that might Nebraska, be. Nebraska, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. And that's a touch now. Yeah. Everybody else is 10 points at least. Yeah, and then that the 10-point spread, New Mexico State, that's UTEP, right. may take UTEP to cover. Those teams are just so bad, who knows what could happen. The battle for the <laughs> silver shovel. Yes, sir. Don't absolutely. act like I didn't tell you that yesterday. I'm not going to. <laughs> you did, and it's amazing, and I'll never forget that, that news. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.